welcome to the Food Manufacturer Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Accurant, Eon and the Welsh Government. I'm Beth and Grills, FM's editor and your host. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Gwen Riddler. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Gwen. And we also have Will Dodd back from Sunning himself. Hello, Will. Hello, Beth. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be back. Feels like it's been a very long time. But you, uh, you have actually been working hard in between, though. I've actually been working. It's just that I seem to always not be here when we record the podcast. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> a likely story. <laughs> um, today's episode is focused on leadership. Um, this follows our recent annual Business Leaders Forum, which took place in London on the 5th of October. And we're going to tell you all about it. But first, it is good month, bad month. And we're doing it differently this month. Will, you're going to be delivering us the good news. And Gwen, you're going to be delivering us the bad news. That's become the harbinger of bad news. Good to know. <laughs> so, Will, let's start with you. Yes, so uh, this month's good news is looking at uh, some proposals set out by the Food Standards Agency, uh, specifically uh, the creation of a new hotline, which is uh, designed to allow people to report uh, food crime, suspicions and and any concerns that they have to the FSA. And that's going to uh, encourage kind of a more culture of, of whistleblowing and uh, a scenario where people... It could be regulators, government, food industry representatives can uh, make these reports and it will basically just establish uh, a more rigorous system where it becomes easier for food concerns uh, to be reported. Uh, This is alongside a couple of other proposals and a new two new reports from the FSA, one looking at the cost of food crime, another is looking at the kind of methods of reducing the impact of food crime. So so really good work there by the FSA to try and cut out food crime because as you say, it, it causes a lot of danger to people who are consuming that food, but also can have a big financial impact on the companies involved and on the government as well. Very nice. Liking the good news. Uh, Gwen, don't handle us with care. Go on. Well, um, but for me, the bad news um, was it came about just about the end of last month as of recording, obviously, the podcast. Uh, it's the announcement from um, the Prime Minister that they would be essentially moving the goalposts for our net zero targets. So uh, in case you weren't aware, um, we have a, quite a few targets, especially set up for around about 2030 to obviously make the UK net zero. But a lot of those are being either pushed back or greatly being revised uh, under the pretense that the measures that were going to be put in place were going to negatively impact households. That there was, from their announcement, that people would be charged more at an accelerated rate that would be people would be unprepared for. So things like so the phasing out of uh, fossil fueled cars from being uh, in 2030 to going all electric in 2035 um, instead of completely phasing out gas boilers looking to do a 80% phase out so just looking at it baseline um, a lot of those are very consumer based but um, obviously those kind of things are going to affect manufacturers as well so um, the talk of you know 
everywhere around the world and a lot of car companies, a lot of businesses, uh, vehicle providers, they're looking to not produce petrol cars anymore. They're looking to produce electric cars. So manufacturers may be investing into electric. Well, now they're being told that that's necessarily not necessarily going to be the case anymore. So what should they be preparing for? Similarly, with gas boilers, what energy should I be looking for? I've been gearing up for a certain date that I need to retrofit my factories or I'm already working to make my factories be net zero. But now I'm being told that that's not so much of a pressure so it's another one of those instances where there isn't a lot of information being shared with manufacturers to really give them a heads up and make them allow them to prepare for these things because they don't know at any moment in time whether or not they're going to be compliant or if um, the things that they're doing are even going to be needed to be done in the first place some really really um prudent point there Gwen and it was something that was raised at business leaders before I come on to that just some further bad news a wasp has entered the studio and it's made things very tense um here but you know hopefully we uh we won't be stung but we'll keep you updated it was something that was was mentioned um and Will you actually you were sort of called out on a on a point there um in business leaders um you we were saying you know if government's not committed to things like net zero and strategies, then is that going to mean that business leaders then take a step back because, you know, that's not going to be on their agenda? And I, I believe, Will, you said, you know, the consumers won't let that happen. And maybe that's going to be more relevant for the consumer-facing businesses, such as retailers, rather than the manufacturers. Yeah, I think it's it's obviously, it's not kind of a black and white issue. I think what a, a big thing that a lot of manufacturers are going to have to consider is the fact that if there is a growing consumer demand for uh, products that are sourced in a kind of sustainable way, then that is obviously going to be passed on to the manufacturers in addition to retailers wanting to source those kind of goods. So I think that manufacturers will obviously have to take that into account. Of course, this depends on what they're producing. It depends on kind of uh, the nature of their supply chain. But I think it's, uh, it's an interesting point that while obviously compared to, to retailers and kind of directly consumer facing businesses, manufacturers are, are slightly a kind of step behind that, a step back from that. Definitely, I think that there will be some consideration of the fact that there is this kind of trend towards sustainability within consumers. And sustainability was a big focus um, of the day um, of business leaders, as well as regulations and education. Um, We're going to hear from a couple of those influential voices who joined us on that day where we sort of were exploring the biggest challenges and opportunities facing our our industry. So we've got Eric Cook um, from Akron and Stuart Beasley from E.ON um, and we're going to hear um, a little bit of their uh, thoughts of the events and also what really you need in your armoury today as a leader. October 2023 and I'm with Stuart Beasley, Head of Sales Operations at E.ON. What would you say is one tool that leaders should have in their armoury to face today's headwinds? For me it's about agility and flexibility so looking into the headwinds from today coming from lots of different angles, lots of different places and so uh, you have to be able to listen to your customers, you have to be able to listen to your colleagues 
And then you have to have the agility and flexibility within yourself for your own skills, but also within the workforce to be able to change and adapt. So that means if there are problems, you need to understand, listen to them, and then find ways of solving those problems. And if there are opportunities, you have to find innovative ways to overcome them. We heard a lot about renewables today and, and sustainability, but what are some of the things that manufacturers could employ to be more sustainable and energy efficient? So I think the first thing is having an objective, working out from a corporation perspective, what is it you want to do? What is it you want to achieve? Then you've got to work out what your strategy is to go and achieve that. And I think it helps then to work with partners that have experience in this area they have the expertise, they have the capabilities that enable corporations to go on that journey and achieve their objectives. And what are your key takeaways from today's forum? So it's really encouraging to see that one of the main topics of the discussion from today was around net zero and the response from industry to climate change. It's really up there with the most important issues on a global level and seeing how the industry is facing into that and preparing, planning, taking the initiative and delivering that change to drive that agenda is just really encouraging. from today's Business Leaders Forum? Yeah, there were two things that sort of stuck out in my mind. One is around uh, digitization and how a lot of businesses in the food manufacturing business still do things with paper and with processes that move paper from place to place. And that is obviously causing a lot of people in this room distress about how they're going to have data transparency and how they're going to integrate with their partners. Um, the other thing that stuck out was the conversations around Gen X, and there were several of them. There was one in the morning and one in the afternoon, um, and how you not only attract that talent, but retain the talent. And I think that technology is going to play a key role in how people keep Gen Z workers in their environments because they expect technology at work at least at the same level as they use it at home. And how can software help food manufacturers navigate today's challenges? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we focus on in, in the software industry as a whole that can specifically help. Part of that is in digitizing processes. A lot of processes that are manual can be digitized, and that makes them easily accessible to workers, but it also makes it possible to integrate with business partners. And I think that's a key thing because I think we've learned today that no manufacturing business is an island, right? They do business with suppliers, they do business with other manufacturing, they do business with retail, and having technology is really key to making all of those things work. Some really great nuggets of information there. So what I thought would be a, a good thing to talk about now is really what makes a, a, a good leader. Obviously, you know, we heard there from Eric and Stuart talking about what sort of things you need to be, the tools you have to have equipped to face the headwinds. But how do you ensure retention and boost morale? Now, I know that we've, we've probably got some thoughts about this, but I thought, why not get some more experts in to find out more?
So we have Standard Cromadam, Chief People and Sustainability Officer, and Emma Vass, Ecotones UK CEO. So Emma, Standard, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having us. Hi there. So obviously this is our leadership episode um, and I thought what would be a nice thing before we jump in about what makes a great leader is just to understand about your roles as, as leaders and your responsibilities at Ecotone. So Emma, obviously you're the you're the CEO, um, you know, the, the big boss in, uh, at the company. Can you give us a snapshot of your responsibilities and sort of how you got there? Yeah, sure. So um, I look after the UK. So some amazing brands in the UK that hopefully you'll all have heard of. We've got, you know, Whole Earth, Clipper, Calo, um, all brands that are anchored in sustainability um, and biodiversity. So uh, really impressive and um, a portfolio we're very proud of. So my responsibility is to get those brands out into as many people's hands as possible um, and to look after the UK team. So, um, again, we've got a really talented team in the UK. Um, probably the best bit about my job and my responsibilities, actually, is um, working with a really great team. Uh, very like minded team, actually. We really um, sort of punch above our weight in terms of talent because we, um, you know, the purpose and the um, significance of the brands means that, we have really passionate people who um, who work for us, who believe in the um, the purpose of the business and our mission for biodiversity. So, um, looking after the brands, getting people to um, to shop and eat our brands, and keeping a very talented team engaged um, and motivated is my my role in the UK. And and how did you sort of get to the the point of CEO? Did you always want to be a leader? I don't know that I ever really set my sights on a, a specific leadership role. I've got there by just mainly by being curious, actually. I think um, I love I've always loved my job and I'm always curious to to learn more about people and businesses. Um, and so I've never sat in a role and thought that's that's just my area of responsibility. I've always been a bit nosy around what other people are doing and other bits that I can get involved in. Um, and that meant has meant that I've had, you know, quite a breadth of experience um, and benefited then from some great career progression um, to get to the role where I am now. Brilliant. So great advice. We'll, we'll try to be all a bit more nosy. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, you, your talented team. We're obviously joined by um, one of the, um, the another leader and part of that team as well standard you're the chief people and sustainability officer a, a fantastic and obviously very relevant role at the moment given what's happening with the um with climate change can you yeah. sort of tell us about your responsibilities and you know and how you got to where you are today absolutely yeah so i have the pleasure to be head of people and, and sustainability that's actually a great combination to be honest because all the interventions that we have to make in the future when it comes to, for example, improvement of biodiversity, uh, that's the interventions for positive climate change. Uh, it comes through people and people related interventions. Uh, we will need to discover those new interventions. And of course, we at, at Ecotone are all around the food system change and the interventions that we have to make there, eating more organic, more plant based. Uh, in support of, uh, let's say, uh, improvement of what we see around us, indeed, as you rightfully say. Now, so that's a part of my role, and, and that's why it's nice to combine those two things, because uh, that's also our aim in, in getting people moving internally. And uh, as Emma was saying, we have a lot of passionate people, and these are our true ambassadors for the company and for that cause. 
and I'm able to lead that. So it's about 1,600 people across uh, nine uh, countries. And uh, yeah, prior to that, I worked for a number of other multinationals, also um, a lot of food-related uh, companies um, across Europe, also in Africa, uh, but since six and a half years now here uh, at Ecotone. Thank you so much. And obviously this podcast comes uh, shortly after our Business Leaders Forum um, taking place on the 5th of October. Um, I know that a lot of the leaders that attended that will be listening and, and also future leaders as well to this episode. So if I can pick your your brains on you know what you think makes a great leader and Standard, we'll, we'll stick with you to start mm. with and then Emma, if we, we come to you after. Yeah, I think uh, Emma already gave away some some very good feature which is to be curious and from curiosity uh, comes questioning comes uh, defining new directions so I would say uh, curiosity and also then on the back end of that vision setting so as a leader you need to be able to sketch a picture towards the future and then also being courageous because it does not always mean you go down the the regular path if you take for example again ecotone as an example we're working in organic food mainly and that is not the regular path that's only four or five percent of the total food market where the rest is all conventional food so we're actually going against the current with uh, all kinds of opportunities but also all kinds of challenges in itself so once you set that vision you need to go after it be courageous uh, and then, of course, work with all those talented people internally and empower them to the max. A leader, by definition, should not be a top-down leader. Uh, we're also uh, within Ecotone very much a believer of leading from behind, empowering people to, to take that autonomy and to take that inter- entrepreneurship and use the talent that each one of us has f- to the max. And if you can kind of unlock that in the teams, you get some real great energy uh, going. And I think that's the, that's the role of a good leader. That's a really interesting point. And um, Emma, perhaps you can expand on what Standard said there. I mean, obviously, Standard, you're sort of saying, you know, um, in, you know, obviously, with a little bit of a cautious mindset, it is about taking risks sometimes. Mm. Um, Emma, how do you, you know, how do you take risks while also being measured at the same time? Yeah, I think what, for me, one of the things that um, helps you take the risks and what makes a great leader is having belief um, and passion around what you're doing. So, um, yeah, again, Ecotone is certainly the best organisation I've worked for because everybody in their business really believes in the, the purpose and the ability we have to make the right choices. And there's a real authenticity in it. So, you know, it's not uh, we're not retrospectively trying to be more sustainable or do a CSR initiative as a one off. It's the DNA of our business. And that then comes through very authentically in everything that we do. Um, We walk the walk or whatever the, the wording would be. And I think being authentic and really believing in what you're doing as a leader, that's what helps you make the right choices and sometimes the riskier ones. But you know, with a bit of with a bit of balance, um, because again, sustainability or biodiversity is a good good example of where you've always you've got the challenge of having to to balance doing the right thing with what works commercially as well. And we've got yeah, lots of examples where, for example, like on um, Clipper Tea, we um, spent a million pounds just to make sure that it was fully plastic free, but there wasn't a commercial couldn't be a commercial business play case to say that was the right thing, but 
we believe that making the right choices for the brand will work in the long term. But we also know um, as leaders in this industry, there's some great brands like, you know, you've got people like Meekless Farm who have not survived because doing the right thing doesn't always, it you know, can sometimes be commercially challenging. We have examples like that on Callow, for example. We know, you know, if we could choose, we would do everything organic. But because of some of the the challenges from Brexit requirements and tariffs, um, we sometimes have to not always use just organic ingredients because consumers, you know, we have to balance what they'd be willing to pay with what the right right choices to do are. So um, I think as a leader, as a business leader, um, as an individual and as a, as a business ourselves, we're just continually, it's just about continually trying to make the right choices take the risk where we can and we know we can you know we can invest and make those choices but we have to balance it with um knowing that um it's not always going to be perfect and I think actually our our employees really appreciate that as well that you know we're it's about continually improving and striving to make steps forward but we're not perfect and that again authenticity I think people expect that now with employees and shoppers know that um you know they want to be part of the conversation they want an adult to adult conversation rather than a maybe historically it was a bit more parent child where a leader would just tell you I've got the the answers and this is what you'll do or a big brand would say this is you know the right thing to do I think people want authentic leaders and brands who talk to them like adults and make them part of the conversation and take the choices together to you know not be perfect but to improve situations. It's interesting that you say that. I was watching a, a video the other day of a leadership coach and they were saying one of the ways to engage a team that perhaps isn't sort of maybe on your side is to to present them with a challenge um, that you can all work with together and to get their input. So it's, you know, again, another leader sort of saying that's a, a you know, challenging and getting everyone's input is is very important. Um, and, and Standard, maybe we'll get your mm. thoughts on on this area in in terms of what Emma was saying about you know sometimes it's it's not commercially beneficial but it is the right thing to do and you have to balance that it's something I've heard about a lot and you go to workshops um, or, or even round tables that we've hosted we hosted one on untangling scope-free emissions and we were talking about how do you then get senior management buy-in to go we should invest in this sustainability and you know um, project because of x y and z and then equally I went to a recent innovation conference and they were talking about hygiene design and they were saying you should invest in um, you know hygienic design and maintenance because of x y z and they're obviously all separate entities and teams and you can't invest in everything Mm. Um, so how do you go about sort of making your your case and equally deciding what is the the best way forwards no that's a good question Beth and I think uh, it comes down to having first clarity of thought huh? so we build a food for biodiversity strategy which is also uh, publicly available on our website which actually identifies a number of areas where we want to focus and where we have the feeling that we play a big role huh? so uh, Emma just already referred to our organic portfolio today, 80% of our portfolio is organic across Ecotone. I'm not specifically talking about the UK, but across Ecotone. And we have the ambition to increase that. So that does have then, of course, consequences for the way you source your materials or for certain choices that you make when it comes to product development uh, or the raw ingredients that uh, that you use for that. Uh, another angle to that Food for, for Biodiversity program is, for example, that we want to 
uh, use different ingredients than the nine overused ingredients. So a lot of the food products are based on either potato or rice. Huh? So, and, and so there's a list of nine overused ingredients in the world, which then relate directly back to the fast monocultures that we see in agriculture because that needs to be produced for those seven billion or so people, huh? those nine overused ingredients. We try to actually go against the current there because we say that's not healthy huh? to, to, to do that that way. So we try to source alternative ingredients and at least two thirds of our uh, strategic materials should, should be sourced uh, in, in that way. Uh, so, so because of the fact that on, on our Food for Biodiversity program, we have some of those very clear choices, we then also can really focus our discussion internally around those areas and then make the relevant business cases. And by the way, the business cases still need to be still need to be there. Uh, ultimately, we still want to convert more consumers into that organic plant based kind of uh, dietary regime. Uh, but it also still needs to be affordable, as Emma was saying. Huh? So there's also, let's say, a financial angle to it, which also helps you to set those priorities. And let's pick up on another point you mentioned earlier, Standard. And, and Emma, you know, as CEO, so Standard was saying, you know, you're not top down management style, you're, you're flat. You know, pressures come in left, right and centre. How do you kind of effectively manage and prioritise goals and how does that sort of play into that flat sort of style of leadership? I think it's like the point we made before. It is about um, balance, getting everybody's input. You know, when you have a team of experts in different areas, then you need to listen to the expertise and bring it all together. So it's a fully sort of connected choice and decision that you're you're working through so um and thinking not just in the short term but in the in the long term um and yeah goes back to balance and um, weighing up the options you have listening to the experts of different areas um and believing you're doing the right thing for the long term and we've also seen a lot of you know headlines about how it's really difficult to recruit right now it's one of the reasons why we held the um, the talent and recruitment workshop at the business leaders forum how do you build in development and career progression within your team to ensure retention emma we'll stay with you and then standard i'll be keen to hear your thoughts yeah i mean we really encourage you know people to take different opportunities within the business so um we very much encourage yeah, people in the UK team to join maybe some of the European teams and get different exposures um, there um, throughout the organisation. Um, that's a big focus for us, that internal recognition. We actually, it's funny you're saying it's difficult to recruit. I think from a UK perspective at the moment, we're not finding it difficult, actually. And I think, again, that's a sign of the times. I think um, there is quite high expectations from um, employees these days in what they want from an organization and as long as you are able to you know with your employer branding to demonstrate you have a clear purpose that you really believe in the people um, in your business that you know, when you come into a business like Ecotone you will be empowered it is your business we want you to be part of it that you can demonstrate that you follow on the commitments um, to delivering you know, your purpose and the biodiversity and sustainability, et cetera. That makes recruitment a lot easier. And it also makes recruitment of, of talented, passionate individuals a lot easier. And then when you get talented, passionate people together, they feed off each other um, and they love being part of that, that culture, that team where you are all on the journey together. You all have a belief that you can make a difference 
that um, you work for a good company, it builds the pride. So it's self-fulfilling, really. Um, you know, get the right people in, be true to what you um, what you believe the organisation stands for, stick to that purpose. You'll get great people and you'll keep them. Yeah, let me just echo on that uh, point that Emma just raised there, uh, Beth, if you allow me, because it's absolutely true. It's the same trend that you see across Europe in our company is that we do not necessarily have a lot of difficulty in attracting people because they want to work with us. Uh, they often come also from larger uh, corporates because they actually want to come and work with us because of the specific DNA of the company and what we stand for, but also the level of autonomy that they get. Uh, and, and building on that, you're just referring to career progression. Yes, we may be a rather, let's say, flat or lean organization, um, not with a huge amount of hierarchical layers, but at the same time, people get very broad roles uh, with lots of experiences. So we also don't define careers necessarily only about by saying, oh, you need to move up the ladder uh, every two years, step by step, and until you reach uh, whatever director title position. That's completely not relevant for us. Uh, for us, it's much more important to uh, give each employee relevant experiences that fit with kind of their expectations. Um, and uh, if you start to look at it from that angle, and I've experienced that myself in the last six and a half years, I'm in a way also kind of six and a half years in the same position. I started as the head of people, uh, and now six and a half years later, I'm still head of people. But in the meantime, uh, we got so many different experiences with the company, with the team, um, that uh, it has been an amazing journey. And then, of course, since last year also added sustainability, and I, I know that Emma can also speak for herself, uh, with a similar uh, track record. Huh? So yeah, we have been uh, developed much broader and we're in a very different space than when we were a number of years ago when we started, even though our job title may still look relatively similar. Uh, finally, I would say that we're also uh, running every year annually. We spend a lot of time on what we call management development reviews, where we look at all of the teams. Uh, what kind of moves can we make happen, as Emma alluded to? Uh, for example, also uh, moves between different departments, for example, marketing, sales, uh, supply chain and so forth. And also where we can help to develop people both on the job as well through formal training and support. And that has been a consistent approach for the past number of years with some real good results uh, coming out of that. Now, let's talk about leadership style. Is the, you know, we, you mentioned earlier about the, you know, not the, you know, hierarchical kind of format, but is there, you know, a certain style that you prefer? We, we write a regular column about this, you know, about kind of um, we've had uh, focuses on entrepreneurial leadership, on empathetic leadership. And is there a particular one that you kind of lean into? It might be one of those or, or something external. And, and why uh, standard? I, I would probably describe it as a, a kind leadership. Um, and it fits very well also with our uh, cultural values, which is care. And that kind of describes a, a leader that can support and facilitate collaboration is agile huh, because every day is different that we have seen that especially in the last number of years of course with everything happening externally also a leadership style with a certain sense of responsibility both from a dna and sustainability strategy perspective someone who understands what we're trying to do in the food system change but also in a kind of sense of responsibility towards a team in a human way on making sure that you get let's say people to come to a workplace where they belong and where they feel at home. And finally also entrepreneurial. So uh, you, you, you're taking decisions uh, uh, based on what you think is, is, is right for the company. 
uh, to do and then also taking the accountability for that that's how i would yeah. uh, describe that yeah I, I like the idea of kind leadership i think that's uh, maybe that's our next uh, column title yeah emma <laughs> What about you? Are you a similar kind of style or, or something different? Yeah, no, I think um, similar style. I think, you know, Ascendant's just um, articulated what we call our, our care values that uh, run through the leadership um, at Ecotone. I think the leadership style that I um, I embrace and appreciate is um, a very empowering leadership style. So I think, um, you know, if you believe you have the right team and that they're talented, then give them the space and the empowerment to be at their best. Um, and, you know, there's no point bringing in talent and then stifling them in any way. So I think, um, as Senator said, what's we're a really nice sized organisation because, you know, we are a multinational. We're the biggest B Corp multinationals. We've got lots of great stuff and support in the background. But we don't have like um, all of the layers and all the bureaucracy. Um, so, you can you are very empowered when you when you join ecotone um and that's my my leadership style um both that you know I adopt with the team and I appreciate from from my boss Christoph is that um yeah if you if you believe that you have the um, opportunity to do things differently to change things to make things better you are absolutely encouraged to do that here um there is there isn't a, a four wall box saying this is your job's description this is your business and you are empowered to um to make a difference here and that's what we want to encourage there's some great flexes there emma it sounds like a, a really lovely place to place to work um i have to say i think there has been a shift since covid um has happened obviously it was a a very sad event but there were some things to come out of it such as kind of flexibility that we'd never seen before so there's you know it's interesting to see how very embedded um traditions within the workplace change so rapidly um because of of you know a, a worldwide event um you know and I'm, I'm in i'm intrigued to see how you know it sort of changes you know in the next sort of uh, 40 years maybe yeah. <laughs> still doing this podcast <laughs> episode <laughs> 1000 and something um, to to sort of come towards our conclusion you know being a, a leader or a manager it can be quite a, a lonely role um, what mechanisms do you have in place to ensure your own well-being um, Emma we'll begin with you um well, first of all, I think I have, I have two young children that um, certainly ensure that I switch off from work on a regular basis as soon as I've, I've finished. So, um, yeah, definitely um, having the work life balance um, and, you know, knowing what is important in life um, helps it feel um, feel less lonely. Um, I know I've, I've said it previously, um, but it is about having a, a really strong team around you. I genuinely enjoy every day that I am in the office and spending time um, with with the team because it's a very high trust um, team that um, genuinely like each other um, so I don't actually find it lonely and I don't need you know don't have to maybe put in too many tactics because it's uh, yeah genuine um, genuine enjoyment um, and yeah Family life means that I can switch off um, pretty quickly as soon as I walk through the door um, and get involved in football or other random <laughs> things with the children. <laughs> I think that environment probably demonstrates that you have a strong leadership style, that you enjoy your work and that you've created a, 
a sort of a space a safe space that everyone sort of feels empowered you know it's a it's a lovely um a lovely thing to to have standard <laughs> pressure now <laughs> no pressures <laughs> What what would you you know what mechanisms do you have in place and and you know if you if you're sort of like Emma and you you're pretty you know happy is there anything else that you can recommend that you put out to maybe your team members if they're feeling a bit overwhelmed? Well, let me first of all say that the mental well-being as such is a very important point, and of course, feeling lonely in a role may be a component of that. But there's of course many other factors that come to it. So it's also one of the reasons why we started to work on this topic more and more, and specifically so in the UK. Uh, they have a whole flourish program around it specifically for that reason uh, to basically offer an infrastructure where uh, which people can leverage as not only about the leader here but in general all the colleagues uh, that you can leverage uh, let's say that infrastructure if you need it so for example uh, on request you can call to someone uh, that has the expertise to listen to you uh, on whatever topic may be that may be in the way of not feeling well at that point in time. And that is super, super important. For me personally, there's a number of things that always help. Uh, generally, I would say uh, it's quite nice to also see within our own uh, leadership team of Ecotone, of which Emma and myself are part, we can always call each other or when we're together on average once every two months, we have also discussions on other things than just work that also helps sometimes just to have a laugh and have some humor together and so forth uh, and personally i i i also have uh, two uh, young kids so i can definitely relate to what emma is saying and in addition what really helps is to always reconnect to nature once i i get out there in the forest or have a run in the forest whatever uh, i feel so much better one hour after so i i try to keep that rhythm uh, going but i also know that for everyone that's a little bit different but i would say in general as advice indeed find those couple of pockets that give you energy to balance uh whatever uh, yeah work uh, you have during the day i totally agree uh, every time i go for a run if i'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or even for a walk uh, you know during during lunchtime it makes me feel so much better the those endorphins are powerful things and I too have two young cats and the yeah. podcast <laughs> listeners would be very disappointed if I didn't shoehorn them in in some way and exactly. they or they do keep me um, preoccupied as well so finally coming to a conclusion and this is a question I personally always struggle with because I feel like there's so many people that you know are inspirations and it's always difficult to kind of pinpoint one particular role model but who would you say is your your sort of biggest inspiration and why it might not be someone in the food sector it could be it could be you know it could be a, a presenter it could be a family member it could be a philosopher so emma we'll we'll come to you um role model and, and why it is quite a difficult question because uh, yeah there's so many different um aspects of inspiration that could um name a you know a number of different people but i think um yeah one for me would We've been talking today about, you know, having the belief and passion. I think David Attenborough um, is uh, a real inspiration because he has really bought nature, biodiversity, the responsibility that we have as humans and as organisations to protect this amazing environment. Um, he has really brought it to the forefront and he's done that by um, having an authentic passion 
and um, care for the the environment and the the planet. So we are, you know, we often use clips from his um, his his programs when we're launching, whether it's organic day that we hold or um, you know getting out to to nature and um, educating on the um, the opportunities to improve the the planet. So a great inspiration to everybody, I think. Standard, who who would you say? I was reflecting on that question and then actually the first thing that came to my mind was actually my two kids. Yeah, because because uh, I mean everyone does see what happens around us even this summer again, being the hottest summer uh, since ages. Uh, everywhere except for the UK, I understand. That's a little <laughs> bit of a joke, but I think it's <laughs> until the kids went back to school and then it got sunny again. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so I just see how much work is in front of us, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm actually quite a positive activist or activist, as we say uh, with the Clipper Tea brand. Uh, but as as Barack Obama also quoted, or or in his uh, let's say COP21, that was already back in 2015 in his uh, in his address to the COP21 uh, attendees, uh, he said, "We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change." but also the last generation that can do something about it. And ever since I started to work for Ecotone and seeing my kids grow up in the context that we grow up in, I really feel very passionate about that line. I need to uh, make that intervention or support in, in this case, the food transition that we all need to make in order to give my kids, but also my grandkids later on in, in 30, 40 years, a future where they can live a sustainable life, where they can actually reconnect to nature and go there and have uh, have a nice kind of positive experience. Uh, but if we surpass the 1.5 degrees, uh, which very much looks like it today, uh, we also know that drastic changes will come again in nature even more so than what we've seen today. And that's why I was I was I was referring to my kids. That gives me that inspiration to keep going and, and provide them a good future. Thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight to have on the show today and we really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having us, Beth. It's a Thank you. I loved what Emma said about getting everyone's input and listening to a diverse pool of expertise from your um, business. And that really resonates with some of the themes that came from our Gen Z panel um, at Business Leaders. Um, if you weren't there, we um, we did something a little bit different with business leaders. We extended the day. So we had our open forum debate conversation um, around our um, sort of set agenda, as well as some of the things that the business leaders called out as particular kind of um, opportunities or kind of hurdles at the moment. And then after the lunch, we, we had a, a, a fantastic presentation um, from Vote for Schools on understanding Gen Z and actually the fact that we can't second guess what they're thinking because we aren't Gen Z um, and actually the importance of engaging with schools and asking children what they what they think and then that followed um, what followed was a, a panel session um, chaired by John Paul um, a, uh, from Step Change Consultancy who is a, uh, a leadership coach um, and consultant. Um, we had an amazing panel and we just spoke about understanding Gen Z a little bit more with some of Vote for Schools data as well and, um, and, and basically how we can ensure that we are relating to them, that we are attracting new talent into the sector and retaining them as well. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on what we heard at the at business leaders that you want to share with the listeners? 
I think what was really evident was I was the kind of proactive nature of the businesses in the room about appealing to uh, Gen Z and trying to get them into food manufacturing. There were lots of ideas in the room and I think that made for a really interesting discussion. And there were some people who had uh, disagreements and uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, any of these businesses are claiming to have all the answers, but it's really encouraging, I think, to to see the way that they are really thoughtful and, and looking to the future and not kind of trying to bury their hand in the sand about it. So I think having kind of the expertise of, of vote for schools in the room as well was really was really beneficial. But no, it made for a really interesting debate. And I have a, a piece up on the site now kind of looking at some of the key takeaways from that discussion. I think one of the things that resonated with me was ask Gen Z how to solve the problem of labour shortages. Well, I think one of the big, and this came from the the panel itself, is um, uh, the phrase, the youth don't think what you think that they are thinking. So there is definitely a case of that um, people are second guessing what younger people are thinking. And like you're saying, really need to actually approach them and ask them what they are thinking because you won't know unless you do. Absolutely. And and the fact that young people do have good ideas as well. And this is what Emma was saying about, you know, picking from a, a diverse pool of your expertise, using everyone within the company um, and all of their different different opinions and different insights. It, it's just, you know, it makes business sense. I think another important point that was raised was the need for um, education to highlight the opportunities that there are in food a little bit more. Um, with the removal of the food technology A level, I think there are a lot of concerns that students aren't, be exp- aren't being exposed to the the kind of wide range of careers that are available to them in food. So I, I think there was a, a, a bit of a frustration with kind of policymakers uh, about not prioritising that maybe as much as it should be. Hmm. Uh, uh, for me personally, and you're both very, very much right, there was a lot of great ideas being put into the room uh, there was a uh, and many things that have been echoed before in the past so these there's not you know not a wrong voice among them i think what's really going to be important now is the fallout from that whether any action is going to be taken one of the things that was mentioned there has been plenty of times in the past where there have been attempts to get businesses into schools to teach young children about careers in food and drink but they've never landed, be that because of policy reasons, because of the tone, the voice that was used. You know, if they had been successful, we wouldn't be having this discussion now. And there was uh, what would be exciting, I think, is to see people go, well, we know that that's the issue now. So what are we going to do? What is the next step? What is the plan? So lots of bright ideas and a lot of blue sky thinking, but I think there needs to be some grounded, real action that needs to be taken now that that was something that was brought up earlier as well before the the panel i think it was the same individual um gwen that said you know that they've had meetings before where they said well the government isn't doing anything so as an industry we'll pull together all we need to do is put a thousand pounds in each and you know we're going to be unstoppable and everyone was really passionate in the room but then you couldn't reach out to anyone afterwards so absolutely as you said it's about not just being all talk but actually walking the walk um and we we do really need you know some industry players to take the lead in this and 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 press forwards so one last point i would make indulge me a little longer 
obviously we've already just talked about uh, a level the food technology a level but there are more than just food tech careers in food and drink industry I mean, engineering is the biggest talent pool that we're losing at the moment it's an aging talent pool and once those people have gone there's no one to replace them as is and that's that you don't even need to be talking about an actual degree in food technology or food engineering you just need somebody in those engineering courses that says by the way food and drink does the same thing as aerospace does if you're looking to work on 3d design or if you're looking to work on um, new technology and information of technology systems all of that is in food and drinks we need somebody in that sort of area to be able to be a champion and champions and that's another phrase that was brought up a lot champions of the industry i like to think that we try and champion the industry as much as we can but you know to reach out to those younger people and this was brought up uh, many times and we've brought it many times in the past social media tiktoks um, all those sort of things are are tools that are there to be used they just need to be utilized and really like I say, champion the industry to younger people. Do you remember our first episode, Gwen, where you interviewed the guys that had um, worked with Minecraft? Yes. We, we need a food manufacturer game, don't we? Uh, Could we be little characters in it? See. <laughs> mm. not it's sure not how impossible. Well would, not sure how well that would necessarily catch on, but uh, we'll have to see. Food manufacturer simulator. The, the podcast is growing every every month, so maybe maybe in a few more months we could have be possible. It, maybe maybe we'll start with figures like dolls of us. Yeah, we need to get a nice merch line going. We do. Um, I know quite a few companies that YouTubers um, reach out to nowadays, so we can get in touch with them. We can get a figure. We can get a plushie. We can get um, uh, t-shirts. You name it. I'm sure we can get. A, you know, out there, and all the kids will want to wear it. Yeah, Christmas is coming up. What's better? <laughs> ching, ching. Do you want a Will doll, a Gwen plushie, <laughs> a food manufacturer game? You know you do. Well, um, I'm, I'm multimedia reporter. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> we, we, we should start a Kickstarter for this, definitely. Um, as always, started off serious went a little bit silly but we hope you enjoyed today's episode and it has given you some ideas for effective leadership um, we'd like to thank our sponsors Accurant, eon and the welsh government alongside our special guests emma and sendent for an ecotone and if you're a leader and keen to get involved with business leaders forum next year reach out to us um, we're on linkedin we're on facebook we're on twitter and um, we love hearing from you thanks again for listening until next time Goodbye. Goodbye.